Our memories are fascinating in how they work, are they not? You know, something in the, in the present might trigger you to recall people and, and places, feelings and thoughts, joys and fears. You know, sometimes they're from a day or two ago, and sometimes things will pop in your mind that are, you know, years old, a long time ago, and all of a sudden those emotions and feelings come rushing back. You know, it's, it's interesting how our, um, our senses are tied to our memories, too. You know, sometimes you're going to hear a song, and that song will remind you of important events. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the first dance on your wedding day. Maybe it's a time spent with friends, you know, and just enjoying time together. You know, maybe it's, you know, when you were a kid riding in the car or going to school with your parents. And as you hear that song, you remember things like that. 25 years ago, um, I, I, well, sorry, 25 years later, I can, I can still remember the taste and smells of my grandmother's biscuits that she used to have on her, her stove when we would go visit. Uh, I haven't had them in, in so long, but I can remember in my mind what, what they taste like and what they smelled like. She always had them on hand, and we loved to eat them. You know, and there's, there's other things, too. There's days that you, uh, you know, you're living out, and you know, um, I'm going to remember this day. There's things about it, whether it's the smiles of my kids or it's the things that we're doing. There's, there's something about this day that I'm pretty sure I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Many of these thoughts bring smiles to our faces. You know, maybe as we remember a person that we love or a dear friend and their words of encouragement. There's so many things that we don't want to forget. But our memories also bring to mind things that we wish could be easily forgotten. Words said in anger that we can't take back. Words that someone spoke to us that, that were discouraging, that they seem almost etched in our mind and unable to be removed. That pain still being present in some sense. Our pasts are checkered with bad decisions and sinful practices and, and foolishness. Can anything good come out of remembering these kinds of things? Remembering who we were before we trusted Jesus. Even as we have now experienced God's grace and salvation. Yet this is exactly what Paul is encouraging the Gentile believers in Ephesus to do. He tells them to remember. Remember the darkness. Remember the despair. Remember the division of your past. And he says this, we got to ask, what is, he, what is he up to here? Why, why would Paul want to bring these things up? And Paul's reason is that he wants the, the Gentiles to remember, and, and, and we're like the Gentiles in a lot of ways, but he wants them to remember the separation and the hopelessness that they had. But remember how it was before they knew Christ. He wants us to remember who we were. He wants us to remember being far off so that we would rejoice and being brought near to him. And so, brothers and sisters, let's pray that God would help us do that, that he would help us to remember so that we would rejoice at being brought near by the blood of Christ. So, Father, I pray as you lead us in your word today, I pray that you would help us to see these things. Father, that you would help us to think rightly about who we were. God, that we would remember those places, those those things that you would bring to mind, and yet we would also rejoice that it's by the blood of Christ that we are redeemed and forgiven. 
Would you lead us to respond in faith to trust you, our great King? Help us to know that it's by Christ that we can be reconciled and forgiven. Lead us to trust you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 11 through 13. So if you want to flip there, I'm going, to, I'm going to read verse 10 just to remind you of where we were last week. Last week we heard these words as he's describing that salvation's by grace. It's a gift, not by our own works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, our verse today, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the word of God for us this morning, brothers and sisters. So growing up in the 80s and the early 90s, I can remember watching a lot of movies on basic cable TV stations. You know, stations like TBS, TNT, sometimes USA Network. You know, you'd be flipping through the channels because you didn't have, or at least in my house, we didn't have TV Guide, and, and they, it was long before you could, you know, have that built into your t- television. Uh, you'd be flipping through the, the stations, and all of a sudden you would see a movie come on, and you'd, you'd stop to watch it. You know, it'd be movies like the, the Goonies or Raiders of the Lost Ark, Karate Kid or Aliens, whatever it was. Um, and those TBS movies... Those versions that were on those stations were the primary way that I watched a lot of these movies and and informed my opinions on on what they were like. But today, if you go back and watch some of those movies, especially if your memory is the TBS version of that movie, (laughs) maybe you made the mistake of recommending a movie to a friend and they watch it. You might be surprised with how much bad language is in those movies or how much violence or sexual content you didn't even know was there because they stripped it out of the movie when you watched it or other things that have been scrubbed from their cuts. Frankly, I'm not sure how certain movies got PG ratings back then. It's kind of beyond me. But as you think about that, how often do we edit our stories in similar ways, to smooth over the rough parts and to make them more presentable. Maybe we do that for others, and we might even do it for ourselves, forgetting those things that we were because it's too hard for us to even think about them. And so we, we try to smooth them out. As Paul is, is building on what he's already been preaching in, in verses 4 through 10 in our passage today, He tells the Gentiles that he wants them to remember their past. Remember them in an unedited way. Remember who they were, where they come from, what their lives were like before they met Jesus. Remember all of that. He wants them to look back on some of the most painful and the most trying times in their lives so that they can appreciate and have a proper perspective on their union with Christ. 
He reiterates the call to remember because of our tendency to smooth over our past failures, to forget how deeply we clung to sin. And frankly, we're quick to forget our own need. Paul's encouragement for us today is to remember it all, every bit of it. And as he's walking through this passage, he's showing us that there was a clear division in this passage, a division first and foremost between the Gentiles and the Jews. They were outsiders from God's people, the Gentiles were, but we also see that the Gentiles were outsiders from God. And so in verse 11, he shows us how that the Gentiles were outsiders from God's people. This is primarily who he's speaking to. And then in verse 12, he shows us how they were outsiders from God. But in verse 11, apart from Christ, we see that the Gentiles were as far off from God and as separated from his people as you could possibly be. Verse 11, Paul tells the Gentiles to remember that they were outsiders, separate from God's chosen people by their very birth, not just by their actions, but by the nature of being born. From the moment they were born, they found themselves on the outside of a relationship with God's chosen people. And in particular, Paul highlights the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles for us here. You see, the Jews called the Gentiles, we see this in verse 11, the uncircumcision. This is a derogatory term. It wasn't, wasn't just descriptive and, you know, they're just telling a fact. But that's actually like a literal, um, they were using the literal, the literal translation was, it meant the skin that was cut off in circumcision. This is what they're calling the Gentiles. They're mocking them. You're saying they don't have the mark of the covenant. And the Gentiles were also called dogs by the Jews. And this wasn't, you know, they weren't calling them puppies or something. They hated dogs. And and this is what they're describing the Gentiles as. Some Jewish rabbis even taught that the Gentiles were created solely to keep the fires of hell burning. And William Barclay tells us that a later Jewish tradition states that you shouldn't even help, a Jew shouldn't help a pregnant Gentile woman who needs help giving birth because that's just bringing another Gentile into the world. Peter alludes to this hostility in Acts 10, verse 28, saying, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. You know, this this idea wasn't explicitly stated in the Bible, but it was an addition by the Jewish leaders to try to protect them from being corrupted by the Gentiles. And frankly, there was both a figurative and a literal wall that divided the Jews from the Gentiles. At the temple, the Gentiles were only allowed to view the temple from a distance. In the outer court of the Gentiles, they could go no closer. And in fact, there was a sign that was... uh, on the front there that, that they were to read, and it was enforced, that it said this, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, and they enforced it. Such was the division. But it's not just that. Though the Jews were God's chosen people under the old covenant, Paul makes clear here in this verse that the Jews were not innocent in their conduct or in their worship. 
Their pride in being circumcised left them missing the point that true circumcision was made in the heart, not with human hands. That's exactly what it says in verse 11. And so here's, here's what's going on in the Jews' hearts. The Jews themselves thought that the shedding of their own blood by them participating in circumcision made them righteous. When in fact they missed that they needed to be made clean by the blood of another, not their own blood, but the blood of a Savior. They were missing that point. They were trusting in their own works, their own cutting, instead of trusting in God to save. The sign of circumcision was only effective as it pointed to a change in the heart, trusting in the God of this covenant of circumcision to save the Jews. And this too is something that they had neglected. And so there's guilt on both sides here. There is this great divide between two people that couldn't just be forgotten and it couldn't be moved past by normal means. How could a Jew accept a Gentile into worship with them? Because they saw them as utterly unclean. They saw them as as enemies in the land. And they saw the, the Gentiles as opposed to God. And frankly, how could, a, how could a Gentile forgive a Jew for their insults, for their warfare and coming in and systematically wiping out all of the people of the land who lived there before the Jews did and for their hatred? Peace seems impossible for these two mortal enemies. The distance seems too great to be bridged. The offense is too numerous to get past. And yet this is what Paul says to remember. Remember this division. Remember how hard it was. It reminds me of, uh, you remember the Berlin Wall that was erected in the city of Berlin and it separated the east from the west. Though the people lived right next door to each other, the differences on either side of the wall were stark and contrasting and there was no way for them to get across. Such was the divide, a picture of, of what it was like for the Jew and the Gentile. But remember, The division isn't just between Gentile and and the people of of God, but it's also to remember that they were outsiders to God himself. The greater divide here is, is between the Gentiles and God. For the people of Israel had a relationship with God because God sought them out. He made a covenant to be their God and they his people. This covenant rested not on Israel's faithfulness, but on the faithfulness of our perfect God. The Gentiles were outside of this family relationship. They were outsiders who were kept at a distance by the law and by their own sin. And so Paul emphasizes in verse 12, five different ways that the Gentiles were cut off here, that they were on the outside. William Hendrickson makes it, uh, he kind of summarizes in an easy fashion. He says this, the Gentiles, they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. This is what Paul says they are to remember. Paul says that it's important for them to remember just how far away from God they were in their lost state. And notice that the words he uses here carry the connotation of heartbreak and sadness. They are separate from the Messiah, the Savior. They don't even have the hope of a Savior here They're alienated from being a citizen of Israel. They're strangers to the covenants of 
of promise. They don't even know the covenants of promise. And at that moment, they're not necessarily for them. The very thing that gave Israel hope and identity were missing from the Gentiles. They weren't just lost, but they were on the outside looking in. They were enemies of God without the promises of the Messiah and without friendships with his people. And as we think about our own lives, we need to recognize that in our days before we became Christians, if you are a Christian, then we were in similar circumstances to the Gentiles here. I'm sure that many of you can relate to being alone and without friends to help you in a time of struggle. You understand what it's like to cling to the false promises of the world and being let down by those false promises. Many of you understand what it's like to be alienated, isolated, and cut off, treated like a stranger, and feeling alone even when surrounded by people. And maybe you even remember a time where you walked around with no hope. You lived with no expectation that things would get better or that you might even experience joy or peace and rest. You see, we understand these feelings of isolation. We understand in some capacity what it's like to be an outsider in relation to other people. But how much more were we alienated? Were we strangers? Were we without hope because of our opposition to God? We were far off without any way to come near on our own. This is the the greater divide that he's trying to highlight for the Gentiles to see. Again, why? Why would Paul want the Gentiles to remember these things? What what good can come out of contemplating how far off we were from God and God's people? What good can come out of recognizing how sinful we were and just how dire our consequences should have been? This was our plight apart from Christ. Why Why is he telling us to remember these things? Here's the thing. The salvation of God stands out brightly against the backdrop of this darkness. And just as those beautiful two words in verse 4, which come directly after uh, Paul describing the fallen state of man where we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, we were following the prince of the power of the air. We were uh, lost as lost could be, he says in verse 4, but God. But God intervenes. God moves. God is the one who comes and saves. He is the one who brings the people for himself. And delivers. Just as those two words change everything, there's two amazing words in verse 13 here where he says, But now. Remember who you were before. Remember all of that stuff, all of the weight, all of the pain, all of the division. Remember it. Remember that feeling of being an outsider, of being cut off and without hope. Remember the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Remember, but also look to verse 13. 
but now. No longer, right? You were that way, but now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. No longer is that true for you. Let this sink in for a moment. You are not who you once were. You're not who you once were. And now is not then. What was true about you, if you are in Christ, is true no longer. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so Paul's encouragement for us to remember all of these things is so that we would rejoice in him drawing us near to himself. Those who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so brothers and sisters, we we are to think and, and remember so that we would rejoice in this reality that we have been brought near if we are in him. So you're no longer who you were because God has intervened through his son, Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything for the Jew and the Gentile. Though we were far off, Jesus brings us near by his blood. You see, we didn't come near to him. No, it says he came near to us when we were far off. We even sang a song this morning about the beauty of the incarnation, that he would leave heaven to come down and tabernacle with his people to redeem and to save. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 57, verse 19, where God says himself that he will declare peace, peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. And he does this precisely through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we must remember our past. Without our favorite edits, we must remember so that we can see the richness and the power and the beauty of God's Son to redeem and to heal all of our past, all of it. The clearer we see our need of a Savior, the clearer we will understand the miracle of our redemption. This is what he's drawing us toward. This is not an exercise in self-loathing. He's not not calling us to self-loathing. But instead, it's a a calling to true self-reflection so that we would have greater joy in Jesus. And as we experience the depth of the loving kindness of God to us, as as we experience and know how great his love is for us, we will then extend that same loving kindness and that same kind of forgiveness to others. Ephesians 4, 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. This is, this is the reason we can do that. It's precisely because we've been brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus that we have experienced this forgiveness of our sins by his grace, that we have been united with Christ It's because of these things, because of this reason that we are able to share love and to offer forgiveness to others. It is this truth that sets us free and it breaks down that wall that separates friend from enemy, Jew from Gentile. 
It is God's love and forgiveness through Christ that enables us to love and forgive everyone else. By his blood, that wall has been broken down. The division removed so that two people would be made one under him. See, Paul says that in Christ Jesus, we who are Christians are brought near by the blood of Christ. It is his blood that makes both Jew and Gentile clean. Both people must be covered by the spotless sacrifice, the spotless blood of the Lamb of God. It required God himself to redeem this wayward people. The only way that anyone could come near, the only access was because God sent his son who shed his blood so that you might come close, that you are made righteous by his sacrifice, by the perfect blood of our Savior. Because through that one sacrifice, the greatest wall of all is broken down. That wall that prevented us from having access to God through Christ, that barrier is removed. Through the shedding of his blood, Jesus makes a way for all mankind, for all who trust in him, to come to the Father, being made clean, and being considered righteous. You see, if we don't understand the depths of our need, it would be hard for us to appreciate how kind and how generous our God is. Here's the amazing thing for any of us who, who um, have come to Christ, whether we've come as a Jew or whether we've come as a Gentile. We are now blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You know, the, the, the passage that we read in chapter 1, those, those blessings from verses 3 through 14, those are true for believers. Whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, those are true for you. That you are chosen and holy and redeemed, forgiven, and you are loved by God. Those blessings are true for you in Christ Jesus because we've been brought near by his blood. The old divide has been removed because Jesus makes peace both between us and our neighbors and enemies, but more importantly, between us and himself. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 describes it this way. It says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it at the cross. As Jesus is nailed to the cross, he bears the record of our debt upon himself. He bears the punishment that we deserve and he gives to us life. Paul highlights this beautiful reality so that we would be rejoicing and being thankful. But he also highlights it, I think, so that we wouldn't be prideful in our own spiritual standing. We talked about this some last week, how it's by grace we've been saved. You know, it's, it's not a result of our works because our, our tendency would be to boast in those things, to be prideful in, in us being chosen. Well, I think Paul's highlighting these things here for us as well so that we would not be prideful in our spiritual standing. We recognize that our life and our salvation is wholly owed, owed to Christ. And so as you, as you think about your relationships with, with one another, 
You know, as you think about your relationships with, with other believers, you know, maybe it's someone that you're discipling, but maybe it's just your children. Or, or maybe it's a, a friend. You know, this, whoever this person is, maybe they're spiritually mature in some area. Do you get frustrated by their lack of apparent growth? You know, maybe they're not growing in the way that you think they should be growing. See, it can be easy for us to get impatient with others' growth when we compare them to ourselves. For we typically overestimate our own strengths and we're minimizing at the same time our own failures. You know, it's just like pictures on Instagram, right? How many pictures do you take before you get the right one that you want to present to everyone? And you got to make sure you have that right filter. And even if it's not true and it really didn't look like that, that's the one I'm going to put out there for everyone to see. This is what we do too to present ourselves in the best possible light, even if it's exaggerated or fake. And it's easy for us to forget that our own sanctification has been a process, often painful, you know, filled with tears at times and and full of false starts. And it's only by God's grace that we have any type of spiritual maturity whatsoever. And so when you do fall into judgment of other believers, are you forgetting the unbelievable grace that God has shown to you in your life? His his abundance, his patience, his kindness toward you. You know, are you, you know, we talked about this, you know, Berlin Wall, but if you're a believer, you recognize the spiritual Berlin Wall has come down for you, and yet are you attempting to build it back for others to separate them as, as well because they don't meet your expectations? If we're, if we're feeling tempted toward judgmentalism, should we not remember that apart from Christ, we would deserve all of the wrath? All of the guilt would be on our own shoulders? Not just in our past, but even now, if we were apart from Christ, we would deserve all of the things that we should have gotten, and yet Christ redeems us. Doesn't Christ's undeserved kindness help to kill our pride? You know, if you feel that you often slip into impatience or a judgment of, or self-righteousness, we must remember that any spiritual maturity that we have is because of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in us. And we must remember that this same Spirit is working in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We can be hopeful that He will help them grow in maturity as He's growing us in maturity. And we can rejoice in His work in their lives. They don't need our judgment, but our godly encouragement. They need our our prayers. They need to be reminded of the faithfulness of our Savior, the one who brings us both near to his throne and the one who transforms us both. You see, the, the glorious reality of this passage highlights that no matter how far off we were, Christ is able to bring us near by his blood. Though we once were without Christ, we once were aliens, separate from his people. All of that changed because God sent his son to die for us. There is no distance that's too far for Jesus to pursue you. There's no valley that is so deep or so dark that he can't see you or that he can't rescue you out of it. There is no chasm or canyon or ravine or span that is so far 
even if it's caused by our own hatred of him and because of our rejection, there is no, there is no canyon too wide that cannot be spanned by his blood. And there is no enemy who is strong enough to stop the saving work of Jesus. He's the one who's redeemed our past. He is the one who sustains us in the present, and he is the one who transforms our future. And so as we, as we think about this, as we, as we remember this reality, let us hear the words of 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, which highlights the amazing nature of the change that he brings about in us. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in that time. And so just like the Gentiles, as we're identifying in similar ways apart from Christ, we had similar, uh, a similar problem. Though we once had no hope, this passage tells us that we have a living hope in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who is raised from the dead, who is never to die again. He is alive and, and interceding even now for us. And so we know that our hope rests solely in him and it cannot be removed. We have the greatest hope that you could possibly have, brothers and sisters. Though we once had no place in the family of God and therefore no inheritance, this passage tells us that through Jesus, we now have been given an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for us. You know, it is sure and steadfast because he has made it available to us. No one can take it from us because it's secured by his blood and his power and his righteousness forever. This is an inheritance that he freely gives to us. So we have hope and we have an inheritance and though we once were not a people, not his people, to both Jews and Gentiles, God says in Romans 9, 25 through 26, he says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they, there they will be called sons of the living God. Such is the nature of the transformation where we go from not being a people to being his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. This is the nature of the redemption where he has brought us far to himself. From wherever we were to him, he's brought us near by the blood. This is what it means. And so as we think about this, is there any greater distance, any greater distance in between our perfect God and his fallen creation? No, there's none. And yet the gospel tells us that the Father sent his Son from heaven to come to earth to bring those who were far off near by his blood. Because God has done this for us, how can we not share the message of reconciliation with others? And so as we remember how far off we are, we rejoice in what God has done in bringing us near. But we also reach out to others. We also bring this message of hope to them. Those that are far off, we desire to take that message to them so they too would know Christ and be transformed. So brothers and sisters, we have a calling and encouragement as we rejoice in this reality that we would make it known to others as well. 
So let us remember Christ's work in us so that we would rejoice, so that we would introduce others who are far off to him and that we would continually rest in the hope that he has provided for us. And if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, you say, I'm the far off guy or the far off lady. I would encourage you this very morning, this very moment, call up to Christ. He can and will save you. If you place your faith in him and repent of your sin and trust in him alone, you will be saved and these promises will be true for you as well. So take a moment to do that. So let's pray and ask the Lord to lead us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that is available to us in Christ. Father, thank you that it's by his blood that we are made righteous, that that enemies are made friends, that, that haters are made sons and daughters of you. Praise you, Lord, that you reconcile two people into one people for your own possession. Thank you. Lord, Father, would you lead us now to remember who we were, how far off we were, but also that we would remember the work that you have done in bringing us to yourself and transforming us so that we would rejoice, so that we would have deeper and deeper joys in you and that would lead us to share with others. Please help us do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.